Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Life of a Fashion Student podcast with me, your host, Christina Eng. Are you all surprised to hear me back so soon with another podcast episode? Well, me too, but here I am yet again neglecting all of my other responsibilities and recording this podcast instead. Not that this podcast isn't a part of my usual responsibilities already, but I definitely have a lot more priorities that come before this, and I just don't feel like doing anything right now because doing my podcast is a lot more fun. But yeah, that's where I'm at with everything. Nothing much to update y'all on because I feel like I spilled most of my guts in the last episode I put out. So if you missed that, definitely give it a listen because I provided a really lengthy life update on there, like after not having talked to you guys um, on this podcast for a little bit. So there's a lot of like juicy stuff on there. Nothing new since the last episode has really happened to me other than, you know, still being really stressed out about my life, my thesis, um, the possibility of moving out this year and all that jazz. Yeah, yesterday was definitely really rough for me. If you're following me on social media, you know that I I just didn't, like, I was on the brink of anxiety and depression yesterday and it was... It was really bad and I was having really bad anxiety attacks. Um, I'm feeling a little bit bit better today, obviously, as you guys can hear and tell and the reason why I'm recording this podcast episode, but just in general, I think it's okay to have, you know, bad days. I don't usually have scenarios like that because I feel like I keep a lot of my emotions inside. I've been having so many people telling me that I don't need to be so strong all the time and it's so true. I think I just needed a day to like release all of the emotions that I've been feeling for so long. And I'm glad that that was yesterday, even though it was super hard for me to go through and I was like crying every other hour. But actually on the topic of moving out, let's talk about that for a little bit because I haven't actually talked to you guys about this topic in a while. And this year, as I mentioned, I'm actually looking to change up my living situation. If you've been listening to this podcast from the very beginning, then you know that I live at home with my my parents in um, Queens, where I was born and grew up here my whole life. And I've never really lived outside of home, and this was mainly for convenience and financial reasons. Like, it just made more sense for me to live at home going to school and working in the city. But also, if you know me personally or have ever heard any of my previous episodes, you know that you know, it's been my dream to live in my own apartment somewhere in Manhattan, and it still very much is. So this year, I'm really manifesting to move out and find my own apartment either somewhere in Manhattan or honestly Brooklyn, Um, but I'm like low-key leaning towards Brooklyn because as you guys know, I'm an avid rock climber, and my rock climbing gym is based in Brooklyn. So yeah, points, points for that. So it would very much be a dream of mine to live super close to my rock climbing gym and just walk to rock climb. But, you know, we'll see what happens and the availability during the time that I'm looking for a place to live. But yeah, that is really just one of my biggest goals that I've set for myself for 2022. And this all obviously depends on a lot of things, like if there are, again, availability of places within my budget. Because as you well know, New York City rent is not cheap and it's basically like I said, throwing your money out the window every month. Even though I say that, it's so weird because I still want to live in the city. But that's just me. 
Also, side note, something that I wanted to mention that just came up that like really triggered me is I find it really infuriating when people think that living at home means you're not quote unquote mature or stable. Like people saying that and thinking that just annoys the shit out of me because in actuality, it's actually quite smart to be living at home when you have the chance to because you're saving a lot of money each month and it doesn't mean anything to be living at home when you're in your early to late 20s. But sorry, I just went on a little tangent there, but I've been seeing people react quite negatively towards people in their 20s living at home, and I'm just like, why? Like, I don't understand it, but I guess to each its own and everyone has their own opinion. I'm also, like, not defending that fact and saying that because of the fact that I still live at home. I I don't really care if, you know, it makes people see me as less mature or less responsible, but it just annoys me when people have those assumptions just based on, you know, their li- people's living situations. But anyway, I digress. The point is that I'm really trying to manifest moving out this year and I just want to make it clear that it's not because of what people think or because I don't want to be living at home when I'm like 21 turning 22. It's really because this has just always been my dream to fully live on my own and be fully immersed in the city life. And you know, I mean, life is just too short, so I feel like if I want to do something, now is the time to just manifest it and do it. Again, it's going to depend on a lot of things. Like, for example, I'm holding myself accountable to getting a full-time job first before I make the decision to move out because obviously I need that steady stream of in- in- income. I can't speak today. Income if I want to live on my own. And obviously I have like money saved up, but, you know, I still want a full-time job to be able to make myself feel secure. But yeah, that was my little random and unexpected spiel of this episode. I can't wait to share more details on when it actually happens and to record like future podcast episodes talking about my experience living in the city and living alone um, and just sharing that whole experience with you guys. But without further ado, I want to get into today's podcast episode, which as you all can tell by the title is about freelancing. And before many of you like space out and click out of this episode because you don't know what freelancing is or you're not interested in the idea of freelancing, I urge you all to listen through this episode and hear what I have to say because speaking truthfully, freelancing has completely changed my professional career life and trajectory. And okay, that's a little dramatic, but it has, you know, freelancing has done a great deal to show me other things that I might be interested in while also allowing me to make some income on the side, which is honestly an important option to have while working in the fashion industry because, as you guys well know, fashion doesn't pay well. But whether or not you're interested or planning to get into freelance, I think this episode will still be a great one for you to listen to because I'm going to talk a little bit about negotiating and how I go about asking for a higher pay rate slash more benefits. And I was actually talking to someone who I work with closely the other week and she was giving me great advice about always negotiating for a better offer when possible and this is something I want to get into and talk more about on this podcast episode. It's not just something applicable to freelance work or even the fashion industry. I feel like this can be applied in any line of work you do and in any industry so I hope that this is going to be a good episode for all of you out there um, who may not be wanting to get into specifically like fashion freelancing. So yeah, with that, let's just get on into today's episode. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with what freelancing is, freelancing is when you sell work or services by the hour or day or by job 
um, rather than working on a regular salary basis for one specific employer. In the fashion industry, there are a lot of ways you could go about freelancing. You could be a freelance journalist where you write for a variety of magazines or web outlets. There are freelance designers that work for big corporations, but not under a contract. And, you know, basically there is a type of freelance position for every niche you'd want to fill or even have an interest in. At my current internship now, actually, I'm working very close with someone who is a freelance project manager in our sustainability-like area. So like I said, guys, there's really a freelancing job out there for anything that you could ever want to do. And that's the beauty of freelancing. You can, you know, set the terms of your job and you can pretty much make it whatever you want to be and make it whatever hours you want it to be. Well, like with the employer's consent, of course. So the reason I wanted to make this episode fully surrounding the topic of freelance is because I think it's just such an important tool to have in your back pocket and something I think everyone should try at least once in their lives, especially if you're working in like the creative industry. If not for some financial gain, then just for the sake of being able to do other passion projects on the side. Because like, for example, say you're not doing what you really want to be doing in your 9 to 5 job. Doing freelance on the side can allow you to take on projects that are more what you want to do and actually like what you're passionate about. So yeah, that's just some food for thought, but I wanted to talk a little bit about my own past experiences doing freelance and, you know, what are some of the freelance stuff that I've worked on. I think my first ever experience with freelancing was when I was doing freelance sustainability journalism. So I was writing for this small accessories brand called Higher Goods And how I kind of came upon this opportunity to write for her was kind of random, but I had met the business owner through a mutual contact and, you know, we went on a call soon after to just connect and meet each other and she was telling me about how she wanted to start a section of her website dedicated to blogging about sustainability. So that's how I eventually got started writing sustainability articles for her. Um, I started in early December of 2020 and then stopped working for her in April of last year and it's super funny how that was only like two years ago because it feels like literally a lifetime ago but yeah I believe that was my first experience with freelancing and it definitely was a great way for me to enter into the freelancing space because it was very low stakes and she was super flexible with the workload and all of that. I also got kind of lucky because she was a little bit unfamiliar with hiring freelancers as well so What I liked about it is that we were both learning at the same time and it didn't put any pressure on me to have all my rates figured out or all of that jazz. Normally, I wouldn't be as transparent when it comes to, you know, like money stuff on here because like that's a like a touchy subject. But just since I want to be like super open with you guys on this topic and for visibility reasons, I'm going to tell you guys how much I was charging at that time. And that was one of the hardest things for me to figure out as a freelancer like my rates because I honestly had no idea what was enough and how much was fair for me to charge to do freelance writing. I obviously asked around and looked for some information online but there were just a lot of actors that came into play when it came to making a rate for freelancing. Um, For one thing this was my first freelancing gig so I hadn't built up like a creative reputation for myself in that space So that was one thing that I had to consider in terms of like charging. Secondly, the brand I was working for was a very small brand. 
basically a startup and she was very honest and open with me about not having that much dedicated funds to offer me in terms of doing freelance work with her, which I already knew from the beginning, so it wasn't like she was jibbing me out of my money. And then the last piece of the puzzle was the amount of work I was going to be doing for her and taking that into consideration in terms of how much to charge. So... Yeah, the reason why freelancing rates are kind of hard to put your finger on is because they're all so different and really depend on a lot of different things. For example, even in freelance writing or freelance journalism, there are many different ways that you can go about charging your rates. When I was asking around, some people were telling me to charge per word and other people were telling me to charge per article. And I'm sure there are like many other ways to go about charging people for doing freelance writing but those are the two main ways that I've heard from the mo you know the majority of people that I talk to. I obviously went with charging per article because I was not about to deal with figuring out what my rate would be per word and that just seemed like too much math to figure out at the time so you know with all the factors considering that I mentioned before um, and each article being around like 800 to a thousand words I made my rate $40 an article. And I know what y'all are thinking, like, what was I thinking? That sounds way too low. Um, and now looking back at it, I do think that I definitely undercharged a little bit. But I think because of the fact that I didn't have any, you know, freelancing journalism experience and the fact that she was like a small business owner who didn't have much of a budget, the rate that we came to agree with made a lot of sense at the time. So I'm not mad about it or like upset that I undercharged at that time. I just... You know, with all those factors included, I think it just made a lot of sense. So that was the whole freelance writing operation that went back in 2020, which again, it's so weird that it was like two years ago because it felt like five or ten years ago, but I guess that's just how everything felt since the pandemic. And also speaking of the pandemic, um, a lot of the reasons too why I started looking into freelance jobs on the side is because... The pandemic granted me so much more time at home and I had a lot of free time to do other things besides school and work. So I just thought I'd put that time to good use and make some money freelancing and doing other stuff to get more experience. But yeah, getting into some other freelancing stuff I've worked on, I've also done a lot of freelance content creating for brands. Um, the one biggest brand I've worked with that's coming to top of mind right now is Inkbox, as many of you guys will know because I've kind of talked about it on here. And if you're not familiar with what Inkbox is, they're basically this semi-permanent tattoo company, the very first of its kind, I believe. And, you know, now I think there are brands like Ephemeral and a lot of other companies doing semi-permanent uh, semi tattoos, but Inkbox was really the one to first introduce that technology. But regardless, I started working with Inkbox all the way back in 2019 and back then, I wasn't doing freelance because I wasn't getting paid for content creating for them. It was more on an exchange basis. So basically, they would provide me with free items in return for content, like in-feed posts and story unboxings. And then what happened was I worked with them for a couple more months, and they came to me in 2020 about doing my first paid collaboration with them, which was really exciting for me to get one of those back then. That's like one of the things I will say because as you guys well know, I'm not a proponent of free labor or not getting paid to produce work of any kind. But in this case, this was a company that I really admired and that I wanted to, you know, grow a good relationship with. So taking on free products in exchange for content was worth it for me because as I continued to up my content quality for them, they started to realize how much 
my content was an asset for their marketing teams and you know now I'm at the point where I'm pretty much a long-term freelance creator for Inkbox so that's the one thing I will say if you really like a specific brand and you like their products I think it's perfectly valid to take on projects that are just on a collaboration basis so you can kind of introduce the brand to how you work and the kind of content you can create for them and then later on it once you feel like it's the right time you can negotiate some paid partnerships with them. And that's what I did, so I can definitely speak from experience that this really works out well. A lot of my long-term listeners will know that I've worked with Inkbox on a lot of different projects, especially around, you know, the pandemic. Um, so I've, like, worked on projects with them surrounding International Women's Month, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Um, I've worked with them for their company's 7th birthday, Mental Health Awareness Month. Just a lot of fun and important initiatives that I, you know, have worked with them on the past, and... Why I love working with them so much is because of the storytelling that's involved in their content creation. Like, some of the brands that I've worked with will just want pretty pictures and videos for their feed, but Inkbox really makes their content creators know that they want these important messages to be spread through compelling pictures and videos, and that's why I love working with them and why I've worked on so many projects with them um, thus far. In terms of how it transitioned from making free content to paid content was the team approached me with like an official contract and a creative agreement and that's when I kind of knew that it was more official than just making content in exchange for free product. I think it really depends on the company but some companies will offer their budget for a project and some other companies will ask the creator on like what their rates are. In this specific case of Inkbox, they offered me their budget for specific projects and I'm not actually going to disclose the exact amount on here because I think I signed some stuff and I don't know if legally I can. I'm pretty sure I can, but it's fine. Um, But what I can say is that the first time I started working with them under a paid contract, it was very new to me in terms of making money for making content. So I just quickly accepted whatever budget they gave me. I definitely wouldn't suggest this if you're first starting out because it's good to know what a good rate is and how much you should be paid based on the content you're creating and like the quality, but I honestly just didn't know any better at the time and was just excited to even get, a, you know, paid to make content, so of course I just accepted without any hesitation because that's how naive I was. But as I started to work on them, you know, with more and more projects, I started getting better at understanding what my rates were. And now actually, recently, I started negotiating with them a lot higher rates because I personally felt like I improved the quality of my work than when I first started making content for them, like, which was back in 2019. And also, like, the projects they've been giving me have been getting a lot more intensive. So definitely do not be afraid to negotiate higher rates if you feel like the standard of work has significantly changed for you. Also, for all the projects, I take into account the materials and resources that need to go into it, and I consider all of that when I'm asking for a higher rate as well. But most of the time for, like, those scenarios, when I need props or something to shoot with, I'll ask them to cover those charges for me and to not include it in the overall budget. So, yeah, just a little advice and tips for any of you who want to get into that. But yeah, I'm just giving you a little two cents into my own freelancing experiences, but I definitely don't think there is a right or wrong way to do freelancing. It's all very much a learning process and every individual and company is going to approach it in a different way. And I think there's a lot you can learn by just doing the process yourself. Like I learned a lot about doing freelance through Inkbox, 
for example, making invoices and sending them out, like that's not something that I have done before, but I did learn doing through freelancing. Um, I did my very first invoice with Inkbox. And since then, I'm like very good right now on making invoices for other projects that I've been doing. So again, it's all like a learning process. And I, I really love learning on the job um, and not being afraid to not know things at first. So I don't know how you guys are with that, but so from all of those collective experiences, I wanted to get into some of the biggest things I've learned while doing freelancing, just if it can help any one or two of you before you get into it yourselves or if you're working on that right now. The first and foremost lesson I learned throughout the freelancing process was to never take the first offer on the table. I was given this advice by multiple people when I was asking around about freelancing and this can actually also be applied to accepting like full-time offers as well. It's always worth a shot to negotiate a little higher and the reason why this is is from what people have told me is because companies will actually shoot really low and it's a trick that they use to take advantage of some freelancers who don't know what they're doing or don't know their own rates. So that's just like a little advice for y'all to think about before getting into freelancing and you know always just try to negotiate when possible. The next thing I would say, which is something that was really a learning curve for me, was not understanding the terms of an agreement before actually agreeing to take on a job, like any job of any kind, basically. And what I mean by this is actually reading contracts and creator agreements before signing off and accepting any jobs. I know everyone's always like, read the contract before you sign anything, but trust me on this, very few people actually do, including myself. But um, I've gotten a lot better about reading the fine print before putting my name down on anything, especially like when it comes to like signing uh, contracts and especially like NDAs, like that stuff is really important to to read. And specific call outs that I wanted to mention in terms of, you know, contracts and stuff are things like payment terms. And I'm lucky I actually got to learn a little bit about payment terms in my accounting class that I took at Parsons, but Some companies will have payment terms that say like net 30, net 60, or net 120. And I'm going to give you guys like a little financial lesson here if you don't already know what those mean. But basically, if a company has a net 30 payment term, that means that they have 30 days to pay off your invoice. So that's what I'll say is like one turnoff to working freelance because you're not on like a set schedule of getting paid bi-weekly. So a company, if they have a net 30 term, that means that they don't have to pay you money until like a month later and like forget net 60 and net 120 then that just means that they really don't have to pay you until even longer and forget net 60 and net 120 terms because that just means that they have either 60 days or 120 days until they have to pay you so that is just crazy to me luckily I haven't ever experienced those yet because even 30 days to me is a lot to get paid for doing something And the reason why I'm letting you guys know this fact before you guys get into it is because I remember once when I sent a company my invoice and after two weeks I still hadn't been paid and I got so upset because I thought they forgot to pay me and I was like emailing the person who I was working with and she responded back to me saying that we are working on like a net 30 payment term and that they didn't have to pay me until a month later. So that was like kind of like an awkward experience. She was really nice about it but... I was just like, it just really wasn't professional of me to like demand getting paid when the contract obviously stated that it was net 30 terms. So I'm just letting you guys know that so you can avoid the same situation I was in because I'm sure it's like a rookie mistake. 
Another big tip I'll give you guys is to stay organized when you're getting into freelancing because as a freelancer, it's really easy to take on a lot of projects at a time and when you do that, there's going to be a lot of overlap on due dates and deadlines. So you'll want to keep a calendar or even like a to-do list for what needs to get done, you know, for which freelancing gig and like to separate your time accordingly. The biggest tools that are not going to be like that groundbreaking, but like really simple to use are I use like Google Calendar and of course Notion, which is like the, the platform that I'm using right now to like type out this podcast on. Um, guys, I kid you not, the day I was introduced to Notion, it was just extremely life-changing for me. And I do have to admit though that it was a bit of a learning curve and adjustment to get onto the platform, to even start using it. But once I got on there, it's like I couldn't stop and literally everything, all of my work is on there and all of my to-do lists and like everything that I needed to get done. So yeah, I would definitely highly recommend using Notion if you aren't already. The last piece of advice that I want to give you guys on the topic of freelancing is to really protect your own mental and physical health. Um, especially Me is talking about this especially because like yesterday was like really hard for me. But I'm not going to lie to you, the amount of mental breakdowns I have had regarding reaching deadlines on, like, some freelancing projects is uncanny. I still don't know, like, why I put myself through it, but I do. And sometimes it's even gotten to the point where I just have to quit the project altogether. And the main thing you'll see that's different from freelancing and being, like, a solo entrepreneur than just working a regular 9-to-5 job is that you set your own hours you choose your own clients, and you kind of control your workload and vacation. And sometimes having all that freedom to dictate those things can make it really hard on your mental health if you take on more than you can chew and underestimate your workload. That's a big lesson that I had to learn throughout this process because I used to be like, oh, I can decide when I want to work and how I want to work, and like, that's amazing. And that made me put a lot of things to the side for the last minute, and it did, definitely didn't do me any favors during those times. Sometimes too, if you're feeling overwhelmed with the amount of work as a freelancer, it's not the worst thing to ask whoever you're working for for an extension like to the given deadline that they've given you. Um, I've actually done that multiple times when I just felt super overwhelmed by everything I was doing. And a lot of the times, you know, my supervisors have been really nice about giving me extensions unless it's something that's super time sensitive and then they just need it by the time that they informed you. But but yeah, that's basically all of the wisdom that I have racked up since I started freelancing. And it's definitely something that I want to continue down the line because it allows me to try so many different things without having to commit to one job. And freelancing actually also pays relatively well depending on the work that you're doing. Um, some resources that I thought I'd share because I was recently in contact with someone who knows a lot about the subject of freelancing and who's, you know, actually a freelancer herself. Her name is Justine Sweetman and we connected the other week because I've actually been in talks with her about having her as a guest on my podcast, so look out for that sometime in the future. But anyway, Justine runs an organization called the Fashion Workers Initiative and they're a group of freelance independent contract contractors who are making it a lot easier for all freelancers out there, especially those living and working in New York City. I'm really excited to get to talk to her more about this topic in a future podcast episode, but the reason why I wanted to bring up her work with the Fashion Workers Initiative is because their website has a lot of information about everything and anything you'd want to know about working freelance. They cover topics like non-payment, harassment, unsafe working conditions, contracts, rate transparency, 
And even like the net 30, net 60 payment terms that I was talking about, like those kinds of information are on there. So if any of you guys are doing freelance work and are interested in getting started with all that, I think checking out their Instagram account or website would be really valuable for you guys to see. And I'll link their website and social media in the description of this podcast for those of you who are interested in that. This has already been such a long episode, so I don't want to drag it out any longer. I hope that you guys found this episode pretty informational and interesting at the very least. I know it was a lot of information, but I really just have been working those freelance muscles and wanted to share all the resources that I could with y'all. As always, I want to thank you guys for tuning into this podcast and to hit that follow button if you're liking what you're hearing. If you have any ideas for future episodes, definitely give me a DM on Instagram because I would love to hear them. I love you guys so much and see you soon on the next episode of the Life of a Fashion Student podcast.